Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I am Mark Gunger, the pastor here at Celebration Church. Uh, for those of you who are used to seeing me on video, no big deal. But those at the Bayside campus who are used to seeing me live, I'm obviously not here tonight in the flesh. Uh, I am out in uh, on a trip to uh, California to uh, be on uh, TBN tomorrow night. For those of you who get the uh, TBN program, you can watch for that. Those of you who watch us later, all this makes no sense at all. Anyway, this is why I'm on video tonight for the Bayside campus. We are studying the book of Exodus, and uh, we are at chapter 12, and starting with verse 1. Now, we've just come through, we're ta- looking at the story of Moses, and have seen several interesting things about Moses. Number one, that he was an extremely reluctant leader, uh, not as a young man. As a young man, he thought he could, you know, change the world all by himself, and he got himself in trouble, and had to run for his life, wound up on the backside of the desert for 40 years, and by the time God finally says, okay, Moses, let's go, now Moses doesn't want to go. And he's insecure about going, and he does, he's not sure anybody's going to believe him, and I don't know how to talk very well, and la, 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 and uh, finally God says, okay, listen, I will give you your brother Aaron, Aaron's three years older than and Moses, and he says, You're, he will speak for you, he's a pretty good speaker, even though God wanted Moses to do it, and said, don't worry, I'll take care of your speaking, but uh, he wouldn't do it. So God basically goes with this model of, you know, a king and prophet, leader and prophet. He says as Moses will be like God to Pharaoh and, and Aaron will be like the prophet. And we've talked about how in that scenario, usually the prophet is the one who's doing most of the speaking and talking and whatnot. Um, uh, particularly in the beginning, Moses was so against saying anything that God actually got angry at him and at one point was going to kill him. But uh, anyway, he got through all of that. And, and then now, so Moses starts growing in his faith. By the way, if you get any wide shots today, uh, you will see, if you want to pull back, you'll see Christmas stuff around here because we're all getting ready for Christmas. And there's ladies running all over the church working on stuff. So if somebody runs in, don't worry about it. I'll just keep on talking to you guys. So just so you understand what's going on. But anyway, so, um, so, so Moses now, he starts out very reluctantly. But then as we get through the plagues and stuff, we start to see that Moses starts feeling more comfortable now. He starts stepping up more. Uh, and not always just waiting for Aaron to say and do everything. But we've come through these plagues, and these plagues have been hammering the Egyptians, one after another, after another, after another. Some of the most, the most dramatic demonstrations of God's power that uh, mankind has ever seen. And now we get to the final plague. Up to this point, Moses, or, or Pharaoh, has refused to let the people go. Primarily because God confused his thinking and hardened his heart to keep putting up with the, with the punishment. It's kind of ridiculous. Anybody would have had any sense at all would have let the people go because they were freaking everybody out. People were dying and plagues and cattle were dying. It was, it was a horrible time. Uh, you know, just after the frogs and the blood, I don't let them all go. But uh, they didn't. And Pharaoh kept hardening his heart. And the Bible actually says God was doing this to him, really kind of confusing him. Why? So God could really demonstrate his power in the earth in a dramatic way. And uh, so anyway, finally we get to the last plague. Uh, after all these plagues, they still were, were not letting the people go. And um, in chapter 11, uh, God starts talking about how he's going to send a plague where the firstborn of everyone in the family, of, of every family will die, including the firstborn of every cow and lamb and every, I mean, just the firstborn <laughs> dead. Okay. So uh, um, we start, we pick it up now here at chapter 12, verse one. And this is where God starts getting the people ready for this uh, incredible plague that's about to happen. 
And he's going to send this plague, this death angel, whatever you want to call it, that's going to go and bring all this death to the firstborn sons of, of, uh, to, of all the Egyptians. And in fact, it would have happened even to the firstborn of the uh, Jews, but for what God is going to tell them to do. He's going to tell them, look, you have to do something here. Pay attention. And he starts to tell them what they have to do so that this devil, this 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 death angel, whatever you want to call it, uh, will pass over them and not affect them. That's where you get the phrase Passover. To this day, Jews celebrate Passover. Okay? And this is what they're celebrating. This is what they're remembering. The night that God passed over them and did not afflict uh, death upon their homes, but only those who did not prepare, as God's about to tell them to do. So, we'll read about it. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord says to Moses and Aaron, in Egypt. Now this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. So he even changes the calendar around the state. He says this is now a significant event that is going to take place in your lives. This is a major, major event. Up, up to this point, by the way, too, God has kind of done limited revelation of who he was as he spoke to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and Joseph brings the families all to Egypt and they're there for 400 and some odd years I think 430 years but now God is really starting to uh, explain in greater detail who he is and, and who the Jewish people are as a people um, and, and and this is really kind of their identity now from here on out um, Moses becomes the one who brings all these detailed rules and regulations to the Jewish people. That gives them their identity. Moses is known as the lawgiver. He's the one who gives them the Ten Commandments. But there are way more than ten, I promise you. Those were the ten biggies. Then there's a gazillion other ones. We're going to see just part of that now as, as God starts showing just the details they have to go through to get ready for this Passover. And, and when you start seeing this, you're going to start getting a picture of the kind of detailed rules and regulations and everything that these guys had to follow. And you'll also see why we will be skipping big chunks of Exodus here as we read through some of this stuff. Because it's rather brutal to read all the details of everything they have to do. Because it doesn't really affect us much uh, today. Now, for those of you who are interested, there are all kinds of studies and stuff that people have done that do all these uh Types and shadows, in other words, every little thing that happened is a representative of situation of what God is going to be doing in the church later and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not going to get into all that for several reasons. Number one, I don't want to study so hard, so I have to be able to teach it to all of you. But number two, it's not really all that significant, I don't think. A lot of people love all that kind of detailed teaching of the Old Testament types and stuff. Lots of material out there. Go to your Christian bookstore and knock yourself out. I'm not going to break all that down. I'm just going to kind of give you the basic rundown here of what was going on. So the first thing, this is a major event now. The calendar starts with this. This is a big deal. This is the, 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 the firming up of who the Jewish nation is. So, this is what he's going to tell them. Now, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people uh, there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from sheep or the goats, 
take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides of the tops of the door frames and, and, and of the houses of, of the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Now, that's the quick version here. Bottom line, what they basically did was uh, you would take this lamb and sacrifice it and mark the top of your door and then the sides of the door. And uh, it's kind of interesting, assuming that blood dropped down to the floor from the top. You're basically seeing a picture of the cross here. But uh, if you would mark the tops and the sides uh, and with, with the blood of this lamb, then this plague would pass you over. This is very much a type, we will mention this one, of Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, the last supper that Jesus took was in fact the Passover meal. This very meal that he's commanding them that they're going to have to do every year from here on out to remember what God is about to do. This is what Jesus did when he did the last supper. And when he sat down and they had the, the unleavened bread and stuff like that and, and uh, the meal that they had was all in accordance with this Passover uh, ritual that they were to do. Now this was extremely significant in the life of Jesus because he was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He becomes the final sacrifice for mankind and that God's wrath now passes over those who put their trust in Jesus because of the blood of Christ. Jesus said, this is my blood, okay, uh, which is for the remission of sins. All of this was done uh, as tying into this Passover uh, feast. By the way, um, Easter really should be the Sunday after Passover. We should have it tied, because that's exactly when this happened. Uh, what happened, though, hundreds of years later, when a bunch of church leaders all got together and a bunch of theological pinheads got together and decided to decide when is going to be Easter, they decided instead of tying directly to Passover that it would be X amount of moons of the new year, whatever the deal was, and I'm sure they had some reason for it. I have no idea what it was. I don't really care, but the reality is that's why Easter's all over the place based on the on the, the number of moons every year. That's really not when Easter should be. We're not going to make a big deal about it. We're not going to try and change the world with Easter. Who cares? But in technicality, it should be, the Christian calendar should be lining up with the Jewish calendar here because that would have been very significant. Uh, on occasion, it does line up, but uh, Easter really should be happening the Sunday after Passover. That happens uh, uh, every year, but they got fancy with moons and somehow they got off track. But all of this was a result of um, remembering the time when they put the blood on their houses and God says, if you will do this, the death age will pass over. Now, in point of fact, there were more details. We just read over a bunch of them. We're going to read a bunch more here. Uh, this is just the beginning of the laws of Moses. We're talking about detail, detail, detail. You do this and do that and stand here and turn around here and do that and, da, 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 and everything has to be just perfect. Holy moly. I mean, this is the law of Moses. Any Christian who has a desire to go back to the law of Moses should have their heads examined because this stuff is so complicated and so detailed and, so, and really quite burdensome. And Paul in the New Testament says, look, God did this to try and hold the people together until Christ would come and then a new law would come. One that's not written down here, but one that's written in in here and uh, we are now led by the spirit and not by all these regulatory demands but uh, we say all they had to do was put the lamb the blood of the lamb well that's the simple version of that the reality is you saw a bunch of details here we're going to see some more 
verse 8. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw. Thank you there. Uh, or cooked in water. You couldn't boil it. It had to be uh, roasted. But roasted over the fire, head, legs, inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you have to burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With you know, So there's no leftovers. This isn't Thanksgiving <laughs> meals. You can have turkey. Some of you are still eating turkey from Thanksgiving. This, this is, you got to burn it all before the next day if you don't eat it, okay? And this is how you are to eat it. Now check out the detail here. You have to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt. Why? I don't know. I'm sure there's some great guy, theologian, doctrinal guy who can give you the reason why they had to tuck in the belt. Who cares? I don't care if you care. God bless you. Uh, but anyway, they had to tuck it into their belt. Uh, your sandals have to be on your feet and your staff has to be in your hand. And then you have to eat it in a hurry. <laughs> Isn't that wild? It is the Lord's Passover. Now, all of that's a type. The reason for eating in a hurry is they had a hurry to get out of Egypt and all of this stuff. But we're talking serious detail here. This is how you have to prepare it. And this is how you have to get everything ready. And then you put the blood on on here. And then you have to eat it with your thing tucked in just right. And sandals and staff eat it in a hurry. I mean, detail, detail, detail. We're still not done, by the way, with the detail. But again, this is just the beginning. We'll We'll read through this, but then we'll start skipping over a lot of this. Because the detail will just, hoochie mama, major deal. Anyway, so he goes on, he says, Now on that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. So this main, even though there are lots of other details, the main thing you hear about, uh, and the most significant part of it, was the blood. When he says, when I see the blood, if you have marked your homes with the blood, Okay, on the top and on the sides. Then I will pass over you. Hence the name Passover. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Again, a type and a shadow of Jesus. Jesus becomes the Lamb of God. The blood, in a sense, on the head and on the sides, uh, in his hands, um, that causes God's judgment against our sin. We should pay for our sins. But if we put our trust in his blood then in a sense he passes over us. It's all tied together in this deal. By the way, anybody who didn't do this, they surely died. Okay? God was not messing around. All right? As well as people who refuse to put their faith in Jesus. I don't need to do all that religious nonsense. They will pay the price. We have to put our faith and trust in Christ. So then he goes on. Now this is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And then he gives the more details. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day of this festival, you have to remove the yeast from your houses. Everybody's got to clear the houses out of yeast. All the yeast has got to go. And whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. You will be excommunicated. I mean, they've taken this stuff seriously. This is, and again, this is just the beginnings of the law of Moses. This is the first detailed thing 
just look at it. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly. And then another one on the seventh day. So the first day you have this big rally. The seventh day you have to have this big sacred rally. No work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all that you can do. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. And when he talks about divisions, he's not talking about people who are fighting. It's a military term it's in, in terms of armies. The armies of, of Israel out of Egypt. And there were arguably millions of them. We'll see this in a minute. Uh, celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. Whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Whether he's an alien or native-born, doesn't make any difference. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Yeast, yeast, no yeast! All right, now we say, well, why is yeast? Now, there is a type I will talk about. That is a type of sin. It's representative of sin, of God trying to keep sin out of our lives. Jesus warned his disciples, beware of the, the yeast of the Pharisees, of the sin that the Pharisees were doing, uh, because it's, it's a type and analogy of sin. So, um, But still, it was very detailed. So normally they would keep yeast in the houses to, because we don't do that stuff today, because nobody hardly ever makes their own bread anymore. We all go down and buy it. But... Uh, they had to get it out of their homes. I mean, when it came time for this, man, clear out, no yeast, no nothing. Just This is serious stuff. We can only eat flat bread, which is why we eat the kind of bread that we have at communion. Of course, we just squish them into little wafers. It wasn't a wafer, but the, that wafer literally is unleavened bread. It's, 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 it's water and, and uh, flour, and there's no yeast in it. It doesn't raise. It's not little puffy pieces of pastry. It's just flat, okay? All, again, tie into this festival which is tied into the communion that we celebrate. All right, so then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel to them. Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and then on the sides of the door frame. Uh, again, you notice this kind of almost the sign of a cross there. Not one of you shall go out of his door of his house till morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame, and it will pass over and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house or to strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land, the Lord will give you as he promised. Observe this ceremony. So not only does he get him ready for this, he's already talking in detail. When you get into the promised land, from now on, you've got to do this over and over again every year. And when your children ask you, what does the ceremony mean to you? Why are we doing this? What is with the yeast and the yeesh and nobody working and we got to eat this bread and everybody's got to be all detailed about how we cook everything. And he says, well, tell them this. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. The whole point of it was to always remind the Jewish people, this is when God spared them when he was bringing all this judgment on Egypt. All right, so this, this is, again, I cannot stress it strong enough. This is a major event in the life of the Jewish people. And a major event because of the tie-in to Jesus dying on the cross for us. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just as what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner in jail, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. And Pharaoh and all his Egyptians and uh, uh, all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night. And there was loud wailing in Egypt 
for there was not a house without somebody dead in it. So these people are wailing and crying. It's like if all of a sudden you heard your neighbors, you know, crying because she finds her husband dead. And all of a sudden the guy next, all of a sudden, uh, you know, his son's dead. And he started crying. The person across the street, they start crying. I mean, every single home, pretty soon you're freaking out because somebody died in your house. This was a major, major plague. Uh, you know, it's one thing with frogs and critters and all the stuff that they had to do and the hail and the, you know, darkness and all that stuff. You know, now this is really striking home big time. And the whole nation is wailing and crying hysterically. And they knew why this was happening. It was because of the Israelites that they had not let go. All right. Well, during the night in the midst of this pandemonium and panic and distress, we read in verse 31 that during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up. Leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks and herds, and as you said, and go. And also, bless me. Now, pray for me. Man, you guys, you're out of here. Then the Egyptian people urged the people to hurry and leave the country. Please, get out of here. Get out of here. Why? They can't take it anymore. They really couldn't have taken it a long time ago, but for God confusing Pharaoh and, and continuing to allow all this devastation to fall on them. But at this point, Nobody can take it anymore. They all knew. They had seen it over and over again. You don't mess with God. You don't mess with God. You can mess with everybody else's gods. But when it comes to this Jewish God, man, don't mess with this guy. Who, of course, is the true God. All the other ones were uh, false gods and, and stuff that they would worship. Well, here's the God of heaven and earth. And they learn, man, do not mess with this God. And they beg them, please get out of here. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. They're going to kill us all. We've got to get rid of these people. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added. Uh, another tie into this yeast of unleavened bread. One of the reasons in this case, uh, before the yeast was added, they didn't have time. They quickly had to get out of there. One of the reasons, again, that during the ceremony, they're supposed to eat quickly because they were in a hurry. They had to get up and get out of here. This is God bringing them all out of Egypt. And they carried it on their sh- sh- uh, shoulders in knitting troughs, wrapped in clothing. Uh, and then the Israelites did as Moses instructed. Remember, he told them, when you get out of here, go ask all the Egyptians for their money. And they did. Ask for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed to the people. You bet. Please leave. Take whatever you want. We can't take this death and destruction anymore. And they gave them whatever they asked for. So the Israelites plundered the Egyptians. When they left Egypt after 430 years, they did not leave empty-handed. They had all the cattle and stuff that were still alive, had all the health, had all the blessings... And got all the money. They absolutely plundered Egypt. Um, you know, I haven't studied the history of this, but man, what happened after the Israelites left Egypt had what shape Israel, uh, Egypt had to be in had to be just devastating. I mean, uh, their their crops had been destroyed, everything had been destroyed, and uh, what a mess! Even their army, their chariots, as we're going to see, was destroyed uh, through all of this stuff, and what a disaster this nation had to be. But the Israelites walked out of there incredibly blessed and loaded up the yin-yang. In fact, they had so much gold and stuff. They apparently had enough gold to goof around and get stupid. And we'll see later that they built a cow out of gold, a golden calf, and worshipped the calf. And we'll, we'll get into all that as we go along here and figure out what in the world they were thinking. But that's how wealthy they were at this point. They walked out of the place seriously loaded. Well, the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, where uh, there were about 600,000 men on foot. 600,000 men, almost a million men 
on foot besides women and children. So there were at least as many women, if not more. And he started adding up the children. And remember, these people were having kids like there were no tomorrow. That's why uh, the Egyptians were freaking out because they were breeding like crazy. I mean, they're just having babies, boom, 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 boom. So we're talking easily over a million, if not two million plus people here. Uh, you know, when you start adding up the, the, the men, the women, all the children, it could have been millions of people. That just this huge, the logistics of moving that many people. Can you imagine? Ho Chi Mama, that, that's huge. So anyway, many other people went up with them as well as large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. When the dough they had brought from Egypt, with the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they'd been driven out of Egypt. They didn't have time to, to prepare the food for themselves. Again, another reason they never did get a chance to put any yeast in that stuff. And this major unleavened bread thing is just a major sign throughout the Jewish experience. And Christian experience when you consider that's what we're supposed to eat at communion. Now the length of time. Now here's where, here's where we're finding the summary. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. That's where you get the number here. Okay. Now if we you remember when we finished reading uh, Genesis. It said Joseph died. He made him promise to carry my bones out whenever you leave. And then we start reading Exodus right away. It seems like that could have all happened you know, within a few years, it says a new a new pharaoh came that didn't re, didn't know who Joseph was. You think how is that possible? Well, when you do the math and you find out this has been 430. America's only been around half that long. Okay, this is a long, long time. These people had been slaves, and uh, and and how this whole thing was set up. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep the vigil to honor the Lord for generations to come. Again, another reminder. This is why they celebrate this forever. All right, at least, you know, since, since that time. They still do this. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover. Regulations? Hello! Weren't there enough regulations in the first place? How many days this, that, get rid of the yeast, it's got to be cooked a certain way and you got to eat this certain... Well, they're not done. Here's some more regulations. No foreigner can eat of this. In other words, if you're not Jewish, uh, you cannot partake in this. So it's a strictly... Uh, relegated to the Jewish people. So no foreigner can do it. Now any slave you have bought can do it after you've circumcised them. In other words, after he has fundamentally chosen to become a Jew and you've circumcised him, then he can be in it. But a temporary resident or a hired worker, anybody from out of town, they cannot have a part of this. In a true strict sense, uh, you would never have a Jewish friend invite you over to eat Passover with, uh, with them. Now, of course... There's all sorts of versions of Judaism today that would probably allow that. But in the strictest sense, uh, and those who are very, very strict uh, observances, uh, observers of the Jewish law, they'd never invite you over. You don't, you don't belong part of this deal. Okay? Now, it has to be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones again. I'm sure there's a great theologian somewhere who can tell you why not the breaking of the bones. We know could be a, a sign of kind of like Jesus. Remember, none of his bones were broken. 
I don't know if that was the significance of it. And all I'm just telling you, it was very, very detailed. The whole community of Israel, everybody's got to do this. Among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's pastor must have all the males in his house circumcised. In other words, they've all basically got to become Jews first. Then he can uh, take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies to the native born and to the alien living among you. All the Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on the very first day, uh, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Wow. Okay, now that's just the beginning. That is just a sampling of the Levitical law. What I was teaching to you from Galatians and stuff in, in the New Testament, talking about how Paul said, we don't have to obey this law. Um, you know, I actually had to say, oh, that means we don't got to... We can do whatever we want. We don't have to listen to rules and regulations. No, 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 no. I never said that. And the Bible never said that. There's still very strict rules in Christianity. But they're very basic. You know, don't have sexual sin. Don't be lying and cheating and stealing and all these different things that, that, uh, that Jesus taught us. And that are kind of, a lot of it's built around the basic Ten Commandments. When we're talking about, we don't have to obey the Levitical law. We're talking about this kind of detailed restriction on exactly what you could do, when you could do it, why you could do it, how you could do it. And I mean, they were really strict about it. And this is just scratching the surface. We haven't, this is just the top. You start peeling this thing back, it gets really deep. And we're not going to read all this stuff. You can read it on your own if you'd really love to read all this stuff. But oh man, talk about a sleeping pill. There's some really basic, a lot of detailed stuff here. Uh, So then the very next verse here, now we see in chapter 13, uh, the Lord says to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. So really the first law of the law of Moses really wasn't the Ten Commandments. The first law was about Passover. The second law now is about dedicating the firstborn child. Uh, And technically that was really just the boys. And it wasn't just the Boys, it was the one boy. It was the firstborn son. Remember, they, uh, Jesus was dedicated to God because he was the firstborn son. Uh, we don't baptize babies uh, in our church. Um, in the New Testament, when you read about baptism, there's never a record anywhere ever of any child being baptized. They were all adults. That's why we teach uh, baptism as adults. What we do is we uh, have the children dedicated to God, but we dedicate all of them. If you really go back to the strict Jewish interpretation, it was just the number one son that was dedicated to God. But uh, So that, that's the next law of many, 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 many laws. Uh, and then now he goes and he starts uh, again, commemorate this day, the day you came up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Again with the yeast. Today, in the month of Abib, you are leaving when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, Jebusites, you know, all the other ites that are out there. On and on and on it goes. And it just goes through there, explaining that they have to do this. Okay, now we're going to start skipping. If you want to read all this, great. God bless you. Do it on your own time. But uh, you're going to see this being repeated over and over again. The detail, why we're doing this. Tell everybody uh, what we're going to do. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. Okay, now, let's um, jump to verse 17. Now, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. There was a shortcut 
to the promised land. God actually takes them the long way. And you talk about the long way. Now even then it wasn't all that long. These people wind up wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Talk about not wanting to stop and ask for directions. It wasn't because they were lost though. It was just because God had disciplined them because they were so stubborn these people. Now we're going to start seeing just a piece of this as we get into this, but it will blow your mind. These people who saw stuff that you and I would pay big money to see. Man, if we could just see God do this. And God would just do this miracle. And how come God doesn't show up? You know, sometimes young people think, man, how come God just doesn't do this, this, this? I'm telling you, he did stuff like this. It made no difference to these people. You've got to see here. This is what matters. Because people seeing here, generally, in and of itself, they will not believe. God could come today and do all kinds of crazy wild miracles in the name of Jesus, just blow people, everybody's mind that they'd see on, you know, NBC and CNN and all this other kind of stuff. And uh, you think, wow, why doesn't God do that? Because it doesn't really matter. These people, it, that's, if they refuse to have an open heart to the things of God. Not that God won't do miracles and that people will believe as a result of seeing that. We see that in the New Testament. But in terms of a wholesale, why doesn't God just do this to everybody so everybody can see it? Because God's just not going to do that. It doesn't work anyway. And he proves it here. And here these people see stuff. And, and it gets even cooler. I mean, it gets way past just plagues and stuff. That in and of itself would sign me up to trust in God. God does all these cool personal things for these people and protects them. And all they did was whine and complain and bellyache. And as a result, for 40 years, they just whined. And round and round. And basically, it took 40 years for all the people who came out of Egypt to die off. That's what God said. He got so angry. He said, all you nitwits, I did all of this for you. All of you, all these people who saw all of this were so hardened in their hearts, God made them all wander around until they all died off. So I'm not letting those people get in. Then their kids went into the promised land unsinking believable when you think about this you would think if there had been any group of people that would have believed God it would have been these people but they didn't I'm not talking to the Egyptians I'm talking to the Israelites I'm talking to the, the Israelites wouldn't truly ever trust God who experienced all these incredible miracles and we're just starting There's, you know, the plagues was one thing we're not done yet we're going to keep going here so anyway, so God takes them the long route. And here's why. Uh, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. In other words, if things get hard, I, I could take them the short route. All right? But as soon as things get hard, they will run back to Egypt. Now, why would anybody go back to Egypt? They were miserable in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They were tormented and abused in Egypt. If there was one thing you'd think I would never ever want to go back to, it would be there. But God knew that if things got hard, they would run back to what they know. Instead of stay out to where, in an area where they don't know. Oh my goodness gracious. If that is not a major problem, even to people of this day. 
People will come out of sin, lives of sin, uh, drugs, alcohol, sexual promiscuity, all the stuff that just rips people's hearts out and destroys them. And they pull away from it and they start walking the Christian life. And it's not soon until things get hard out here and it's unsure and they don't understand it. And they run back to what? Having a problem with the deck back there. Word of God won't return void though. And so, thank God for what we got, right? We're gonna. I, w- I want to read something from you from John. It is the Christmas time, and uh, we're gonna worship in just a moment and open up this this prayer. But you know, the Bible is real clear that God came to open up the hearts of humanity to Himself. When we weren't ready for Him, He He decided, "Well, I'll take the initiative," didn't He? And he came and he moved into our lives. You know, one thing I know about my life, I wasn't seeking after God, but he found me. And he invaded my life with his love and he touched me. The scripture says this in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life and that life was the light of man the light shines in the darkness see before I knew Jesus it was just me trying to find my way through how many know what I'm talking about and you you, you, you do your best you, you try to be a good person maybe or maybe you weren't even trying to do that you know you were just moving forward one step at a time but isn't it amazing when you come to Christ and his light begins to shine in the dark places you know, it only takes just a small thing to drive out the darkness, doesn't it? You know, when they brought up the lights a few minutes ago, it just flooded this area. And Jesus is like that. He goes on later and he says in verse 14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that grace and truth has changed our lives. I want us to stand together. We're going to sing. There's a song that we were planning to sing near the end tonight, and we're fairly near the end. But we want to take this and, and um, you know, it's all right if, if uh, you know, we, we had plans, but maybe God has other plans. And if, if you came here tonight and you wanted some prayer, there's those that help us pray at the end. Perhaps you'd like some prayer. We'd love to pray with you at this time. You just can come. And this may be a little new for some of you. Maybe you've never never done this. But just maybe just join us at the front. We'll pray for you. And, uh, and then you can go right back to where you were, were seated. And the rest of us will just continue to worship God. And this song, you're going to want to get a grip on this. God with us. So, Ross, if you... If you just take us to the throne of God, um, I'm going to be down here front. Some of the rest of you that help us pray from time to time, help us out tonight. And uh, we're going to pray for some people. How many need prayer tonight? Would you join us at the front? Just, just, just come this direction and we'll pray if you have a need. Do you want to pray for tonight? God is in this place.